210. Good evening. And it is a joy for me to see those of you who are here to be seen tonight. Um, when we think about what's going on in the life of the church, um, I think coming up, of course, we have the Lord's Day and all of our regular meetings. Um, next Monday evening, there's the uh, opportunity to go um, the Evangelistic by the Fiserv Forum and, uh, and be here again next, no wait, no, no, next week we're not here. Is that right? Oh yeah, Sunday is communion, so prepare for that. There'll be one less song, so we have plenty of time for contemplating the Lord's Supper and the Lord is what he's accomplished for us. And it's cool that we'll be looking at Galatians 2.20 uh, afterwards because there's so much connection with the crucifixion of Christ and our union with him. So I'm excited about that. But tonight we're going to get back into the grace of God which uh, last, last week um, I just had more material to give you than we had time to give it in, so we made an abrupt halt, and uh, we're going to take up there tonight. But first, before we get into that, a little review, and let's pray as we begin. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, um, hopefully longing for you and looking for you with hope tonight that we'll grow in our grasp of grace uh, what it means that you are gracious and we so we come to you in prayer because we need your help to be able to do so and want we want to tell you lord that it's our earnest desire to know you better and and commune with you as you are and to think of you not just far off away somewhere or to have this list of characteristics that describe who you are but help us to apply to our contemplation of who you are these things and our and, and even as we talk to you and pray to you that uh, our consciousness of all your many wonderful attributes comes to our minds especially tonight to think of grace and so lead us we pray by your grace into a deeper understanding an accurate understanding of you that will result in our profoundest praise and joy in our lives. Um, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week when we were began to look at the grace of God, I noted at the beginning that there are two characteristics of God that are very close to one another, one being grace. What is the other that is mentioned often in the same context? God is gracious and God is merciful so it's important that we be able to distinguish between these attributes um, and so when we think about mercy we th should think of God's mercy as God's kindness that is motivated by the misery and that he sees and as a result is it's a uh, compassion and pity that drives his kindness but grace is God's kindness, also God's kindness, but it focuses not on the misery of uh, our misery, but on what we deserve and, and seeks to give us what we don't deserve. So 
The difference is that the focus of mercy is our misery. The focus of grace is, our, is justice and what we deserve. And in both cases, God is kind and compassionate on the mercy side, and he is kind, and he operates in such a way to satisfy justice, but in a way that the people who are worthy of punishment don't get what they deserve. So to put that into a definition of grace, I just want to quote tonight the one, one of the two ones that I had there in your handout, and that's the one by J.I. Packer. He, he defines grace this way. The grace of God is love freely shown towards guilty sinners contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. Now, when we uh, look at grace, we talk, began talking last time about two kinds. What's the first kind we mentioned? Common. common grace. And common grace, well, what is it about common grace that makes it common? It goes to everybody. Oh, yes, it, goes to everybody. it is common to, to all. Uh, to all the creation and uh, to creatures uh, and people. Um, so, and we talk, noted two ways in which God's common grace, uh, well, common grace is manifest in uh, God's restraint. And he, he restrains by grace. He restrains evil in the world. It could be far worse than it even is. But also God graciously restrains himself from the exercise of wrath. He is postponing uh, and so people who are not repentant are storing up for themselves wrath for the day of judgment. But graciously, God is holding back, which offers the world an opportunity to repent. So those are two. So um, common grace then is manifest in divine restraint, but it's also manifest in God's blessings upon nature and humankind in his provisions, rain and uh, sunshine and to even, you know, technology, the provi God's providential role in, in enabling technology to come to a certain point where uh, we can have, like, medical advances and advances in our comforts and things like this. Even the ability to understand and, and work through the subject matter that relates to the world that God has made, whether it's science, math, language, and that such. It's all, uh, those are all aspects of God's common grace in blessing nature and humankind. And then, so there's common grace on the one side, and then there's special grace on the other. And special grace is that measure of divine, of God's grace, which is specifically granted to humans who are being saved uh, from their sin and made right with God. So here's this, the quote we gave you from Henry Bavink is that it, uh, special grace is God's voluntary, unrestrained, unmerited favor toward guilty sinners granting them justification and life instead of the penalty of death, which they deserve. Then we went through uh, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 10, and just showed that grace is the fountain within God from which flow not only his daily kindnesses, but also his eternal plan of salvation with all of its profound components, which... Uh, most of which are listed there in verses 3 to 10 of Ephesians 1. And then we also looked at Romans 3, 23 to 25, at the concept of grace and saw that, that the grace of God, uh, in, in, in terms of his special grace, is closely wed to the concept of a gift. 
it is uh, so his justification the get what he get what he provides by grace is our gifts that can only be received as such and that's where we abruptly stopped and tonight i want to look at one more passage here um, that deals with god's special grace and that's romans 5 verses 15 to 17 which highlights the magnificence of god's grace paul is showing us that human sin is the occasion for the display of God's grace. As bad as sin is, even where it increases, the grace of God abounds. So we're seeing here the magnificence of God's grace as we compare it with the wickedness and the widespread fact of sin. So let's read Romans 5, 15 to 17. I'll read that for you. But the free gift of but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, what we are seeing that Paul is saying here, he is, he's drawing a contrast. The contrast really is between the one trespass of Adam and the one work of righteousness in Christ by God's grace, providing a free gift. And Paul's point is these two, he's, he's wanting to, he says they're not alike, and certainly they're not alike, but there, there are certain ways in which they are alike that makes their differences stand out. What is so different between the, the, the one trespass and its results on the one hand and God's grace and its results on the other hand. So let's see the contrast between the work of human sin and the work of God's grace. I want you to see three aspects of the one man's sin. Let's just look at it that way first. What do we see when we look at these verses that tell us the nature of the one man's sin? What are those three aspects? Well, first of all, from the one man's sin, many died. One man, many died. So there is a multiplication of, of the effects. In the one sin of the one man, it impacted everyone else. It impact, impacted the many for bad because many died as a result of that one man's sin. Secondly... Uh, you look down in there and it says, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So the second aspect of the one man's sin is that judgment followed from one man's sin. One man's sin brought condemnation and judgment. That was the effect. Not only death to many, but also the reality of judgment and condemnation. And then the third effect that's listed here by Paul of this sin is that death 
reigned, which is to say there is a powerful oppressive rule of death because of the one man's sin. Because of, as, as Paul says, uh, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. But now, having seen those three aspects of this one man's sin, let's contrast what Paul wants us to see about each one of those points in terms of the greater nature of God's grace. So first of all, notice how God's grace is contrasted with, with the first uh, mentioned, mentioned item, where, sin, where one sin brought death to the many. What is it about grace? Grace much more abounds. Catch the emphasis. Much more grace abounds. Do you see it? Many died through one man's trespass, but much more have the grace of God and the free gift abounded for many. So the contrast is between one sin and the dramatic impact of it on the one hand, but on the superabundance of grace in contrast. For all the tragic results of death brought about by one sin, the grace of God is greater not by just a little bit, but it is infinitely greater. For those who are being saved, death is therefore not the last word. Grace is the last word, and grace overcomes death. Death as bad and as lasting as it is, to the many, is overcome by grace. And death because of sin cannot overcome the grace of God. Paul just wants us to be, you know, we could easily stand amazed at all of the, the tragic results. You think of all the sin we see today. And the death, the, 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 what literally people dying uh, as a result of sin, but also just the death that permeates, the, the death of separation between God that just permeates and demonstrates itself in the midst of our society. And, you know, you shake your head, I shake my head, and we just, we, we realize we're living in, in terrible days. But Paul would say, see all that? That's from one sin. But God's grace is greater. It abounds. It, it is not overcome by this darkness and this evil and this wickedness. No, grace is the winner. Wherever God wants to bestow it, grace is the winner over it all. So that's one aspect of distinction there. A second one is where sin results in condemnation, God's grace brings justification. And this takes us back to this Sunday a little bit, this past Sunday just a little bit, when we're talking about justification and condemnation justification being the opposite of condemnation and uh, grace is what brings justification but sin brings condemnation so condemnation is God's just response to, to sin how many sins does it take for there to be judgment upon us uh, yeah how many how many sins one it only takes one but how many have we committed a gazillion right when Adam sinned he took the entire race human race with him into judgment and condemnation by one act. So how great a contrast there is with the grace of God here. Grace is God's response not merely to one sin, but to many sins. If one sin leads to condemnation, how much more many sins? And we have committed many. However, God's boundless grace is undaunted by the magnitude and the multitude of sin. Andrew Wilson writes this, the gift of a 
The gift is of a different scale from condemnation, and God's grace is of a different magnitude from his judgment. Instead, many sins lead to justification. So one sin leads to many, resulting in judgment. One act of righteousness, the act of Christ on the cross, giving himself by God's grace, addresses many sins, leading to justification of many. So it's it's an amazing and wonderful aspect of God's justifying grace. It's the opposite of judgment. So judgment leads to condemnation. Judgment leading to condemnation says that justice is not satisfied. So in other words, in other words, when there is a cry for for judgment, it's saying justice has not yet been fulfilled. It, there must be judgment in order for justice to be satisfied. And so condemnation is the means of satisfying the cry for justice. But justification, on the other hand, is the, de- is the declaration that justice is satisfied and that there is no condemnation remaining because the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. And this can only be done by God's grace. Romans 8, 3-4 explains, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So because of grace, we who deserve condemnation are declared righteous and are treated in accordance with that declaration. It is God's grace. Now thirdly, when we look at this third aspect of sin as contrasted with grace, where sin results in the reign of death, grace makes sinners reign over death. Now you, I'm going to say that again and see if you can catch the difference. Where sin results in the reign of death, grace makes sinners reign over, over death. They reign in life. Now, when you say, you know, when you're, when you're thinking of opposites, you might think that when you hear the first phrase, where sin results in the reign of death, that the, that the contrast might be, well, that, that uh, there is the reign of life. But that is not what Paul says. Death reigns in the one case, but people reign. Sinners that are actually deserving of death are the ones who reign in life. Is, is the contrast. They reign in life. What a striking contrast. On the one hand, death reigns because of one man's trespass. On the other hand, however, life does not reign. Rather, the recipients of grace are the ones who reign in life. And again, I'll quote Andrew Wilson. He explains that through grace, we have not simply been transferred from one ruler to another, but transferred from being subjects under a ruler to being rulers ourselves in the new realm of of life. So we who are once subjugated under the heavy hand of sin are now if the things have been totally turned so that we who were uh, subjects are now uh, reigning with Christ over the realm in the realm of life. So in sum or to sum it up, God's grace is staggeringly amazing and this text helps us see it. God's grace is definitely lasting. It's definitively lasting. It is totally, in a manner of speaking, inappropriate because it's not what we deserve. It's unreasonably enormous because it, 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 it goes beyond our reason, reasoning capacity to see its greatness. And it's completely transforming. 
He not only takes away what we do deserve, that is the wrath of God and separation from him and death, but also God gives us what we do not deserve, justification, union with Christ, and eternal life, not to mention seating us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, ruling and reigning. And so you want to to stop and think about the magnitude of God's grace and you should, we should from time to time as we're worshiping and praising God, turn back to Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 17 and think through that and stand in awe of the distinction of what we deserve and what God has given us by his grace. Now, um, next, I just want to give us a list of properties of God's grace. What is God's grace like? What are some of these factors in rightly understanding it? Um, And I'm sharing this list that was set forth by Samuel Storms in his book, The Grandeur of God. And I've got, what, seven items of the properties of God's grace to go over briefly. One is this. Grace presupposes. In other words, for there to be grace that is exhibited, it presupposes sin and guilt. No sin, no guilt, you don't ever see grace. Grace, presuppo- grace presupposes these. It has meaning only when humans are seen as fallen. And so if that is true, and I think that's right, without, we never would know the grace of God if there was not sin. And so I think we briefly touched on this last time that um, to stop and think, therefore, about you know, what's God's purpose in allowing a world, to, come, to bring in a world into existence that in his plan, not just in his knowledge, but in his plan, they would, there would be sin. Well, one reason would be for him to be able to display the fact that he is gracious. But here's the thing. If we don't see, if we, if we undervalue the greatness of sin, which I, we live in a day when it, some people don't even know what sin is. Sin is me not loving myself the way I should. Um, but uh, when we, we live in a day where even Christians talk about sin either sparingly or they, they belittle it and think very little of what it is fail to see the hostility and the treachery that is in the heart of humans because of sin but if we fail to see that then what will be the result for how we look at grace well grace won't be that amazing either I mean sin won't be that bad if sin's not that bad then grace is not that amazing but so here's not just a reason to the, the reason why we ought to have, though, the right view of sin is because here's what the Bible says. When we look at what the Bible says about sin, it is very bad. And uh, we can't we can hardly stress how serious and bad it is. But looking again at Romans five in those passages we were just reading and the magnitude and the multitude of sins. Uh, and the hostility that they exhibit towards a creator who has given wonderfully, mercifully, all good things for us to enjoy. To reject his law is to spurn him. And if we see sin for the terrible ugliness that it is, then it'll cause our jaws to drop even more when we think about the fact that God is gracious to this. God's grace is this way to us. So, grace presupposes sin and guilt, something to bear in mind. Secondly, grace views sinners not merely as undeserving, but as ill-deserving. 
That is, it's just, oh, I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything to get that. It's rather this, I have done everything in my power not to get that. That's when I receive grace. So not only do we not deserve it, we deserve the opposite of grace. We are not good people who don't quite measure up. We are bad people who deserve judgment. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's Romans 5, 8, and 10. Showing that it's not just that, oh, you know, somebody gives you something. I, I didn't do anything to get that. No, I, didn't, I don't deserve that. Well, it, yeah, you didn't, you could say easily, you know, I didn't, I didn't work for that. I didn't, I don't, you don't ever, de- if, if it's a gift, you don't deserve it by, by very definition. You don't get it because you deserve it. That's pay. That's wages. But in this case, it's a gift given when the very opposite is what is deserved. And number three, grace cannot be merited and I think you we'd all amen. But here's the point. Grace cannot be merited to any degree. If there is any degree of my merit that is involved in my idea of grace, then truly, when you get to the bottom of it, it's not grace at all. You can't be good enough to get grace. And you can't be but here's the you can't be good enough to get it, but also you can never be so bad that you can't get it. You know, sometimes we look at people and we say, oh, they're really bad, you know. And we might think, well, that really bad person doesn't deserve grace. Oh, what is grace? It's undeserved by its very definition. And, and this is why God saves people all along the spectrum of, what human, of human evaluation. We might think, oh, this is a good person, relatively speaking. Here's a good person, and yet a sinner, and they are going to spend eternity with Satan. And here over here is this person who might have murdered and uh, been wicked in all sorts of ways, and yet he receives God's grace. Uh, One of the kings is just an example of this. Um, Now, I'm not going to be able to think of his name. Manasseh? Wicked, 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 wicked. Put his child to the fire. He was so wicked all of his life, but at the very end, he repented. God had mercy on him and gave him grace. So, you know, this, this helps us. It should help, help us too. You ever think, I'm just not worthy of receiving God's grace. I'm too bad. Or I'm just not good enough. Guess what? You are just the right person to receive grace. You can never look at yourself. It's, it's, all, it's wrong to look at yourself and judge yourself Worthy or unworthy of grace, because grace by its very definition is something of which you are unworthy. All you you need is to feel your need of Him. And already He is working graciously in your heart. Okay, so grace cannot be merited to any degree. Fourthly, grace cannot be repaid. That is, as in a debt, because it is a gift. Think about this. Now, you might think, okay, I received salvation by God's grace. Well, how are you going to live now? Am I going to try to gain God's favor? 
pay him back, earn something from him now? I think a lot of us have fall into that kind of uh, trap. But that is out of step with what grace is because grace cannot even be repaid. You can't give back to say, oh God, thank you for myself. I'm going to try to give all this back to you so that I, I, I'm paying back a debt I owe to you. You don't owe God a debt in that sense because you can never repay it. It's a gift. So repayment would suggest that it's not a gift. You don't live to pay God back. You can't do it. Rather, you live, how do you live then? As an expression of gratitude. Oh, you know, I can never pay you back, God, but I just want to live my life for you for you because I'm yours. It's the expression back to grace is thank you. Thank you. That's all you can do. But that thanks should be seen in a resolve that is filled with zeal and determination and a desire to express the greatest possible thanks to God. Okay, fifthly, grace has a varying relationship to our works. Grace has a varying relationship to our works, meaning grace's relationship to work, to our, what we do, it is different depending on the aspect of God's saving work we're talking about. So, when we talk about justification, relative to justification, grace is incompatible, totally incompatible with works. That is, when you're justified, it has nothing at all to do with your doing. You believe. And you're justified. But relative, on the other hand, to sanctification, grace is the root of works. In other words, while we are saved and justified without respect to our work at all, uh, grace is the root within our lives from which will come works in our sanctification. Whereas we are saved by grace and not of works, we are saved by grace unto works, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. These are things God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Not So he changed us, and he's making us different so that our works, uh, there will be works that flow out of us by God's grace that give him glory. But it's not a repayment. It's still by his grace coming out. It's, he's, his grace is the, is, the, is the root. His grace is the fountain. Sixth, grace is the cause, and salvation is the effect. In other words, grace is the thing that makes it happen, and salvation is what happens because of grace. God's grace is what makes salvation happen. To God be the glory. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace, of God, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. God's grace comes, and where it comes, that's where salvation comes. It doesn't come first because of something in a person. It comes first, and, and it comes, it's all of God coming upon the person for the salvation. The cause is grace. The effect is salvation. Seventh, grace is eternal. You can't be in it and out of it. You either are in it or, or you are out of it. You don't come and go. If you've got it, it's yours forever. He saved, This is 2 Timothy 1. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus 
who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us not because of our works, but by his own purpose and grace. It's eternal. This is what, if you got it, it's because it's part of God's plan and he is bringing it to pass. So how do we respond to the grace of the Lord? Um, with our time gone, let me just say, we worship joyfully and give thanks abundantly. We rest securely. That is, oh, we don't ever have to work. We don't ever have to earn. We can't return it, so quit worrying about that. Don't live in anxiety and don't live in despair. Live in the assurance of God's grace. Thirdly, live zealously but freely. In other words, oh, oh yeah, well, uh, this is not a, okay, I don't care. It's not going to produce an I don't care kind of attitude about life. It's going to produce zeal. But it's just a zeal that's free. You can't earn God's favor, so don't try. Don't saddle yourself with a performance mindset that says, well, God will bless me if. Oh, God is, ble- he is blessing. God is blessing you. So, therefore, go and serve. And then, how about the way we treat others? We should treat others the same way we've been treated, with grace. Somebody wrong you, somebody um, offending you, somebody hurt you, somebody just doing something they shouldn't be. Well, are you going to judge? Or are you going to know that that's me without grace? Who am I then to jump on them in a way that says you're wrong and you're, 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 I'm going to judge you and I'm going to be your judge and think myself better because all I am is a trophy of God's grace. So it changes the way I look at other people in their wickedness and wrong. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? That is, could I never have a lapse in my zeal? Could my tears forever flow? Could I just cry about my sin forever and ever? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Great God of wonders, all thy ways display the attributes divine, but the countless acts of pardoning grace beyond your others, your other wonders shine. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? In wonder lost, With trembling joy, we take the pardon of our God, pardon for crimes of deepest dye, a pardon bought with with Jesus' blood. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? Oh, may this strange, this matchless grace, this godlike miracle of love fill the wide earth with grateful praise as now it fills fills the choirs above. Grace first inscribed my name in God's eternal book. "'Twas grace that gave me to the Lamb "'who all my sorrows took. "'Grace taught my soul to pray "'and pardoning love to know. "'Twas grace which kept me to this day "'and will not let me go.'" So this, oh, to grace, God's grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. Our Father, we just praise you for your grace. We pray that we would uh, 
see sin rightly, that it is in its despicable character, and we would be even more profoundly amazed that your grace is greater. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.